Welcome back to Noble Warrior Life. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about the approaches we use to build purpose-driven organizations in the most effective, in the most efficient, in the fastest way possible to build purpose-driven organizations. Well, we're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about mental models. We're going to talk about actionable tactics such that you can go out and build your purpose-driven organization. I'm really excited to have my guest on. He's the founder of the Earn 100K Coaching Facebook group. He's an expert on becoming fearless. He helps coaches build six-figure-plus businesses from zero. And his mission in life is to shift your relationship with fear such that it never stops you again. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm, noble warrior welcome to Peter Scott IV. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you so much for being here. I want to jump right in with you. Bring us back to the point where you decided to focus on fear, dedicate your life in helping people becoming fearless. Ooh, yeah, great question. You know, I became a student of kind of shifting my own relationship with fear and eventually helping others. Honestly, CK, because my entire life was consumed by it. You know, I, I, I'll share an event that was really significant in my life. I was 10 years old and I had to sit down in a courtroom with my grandparents on my left, an attorney on my right, and my mother directly across from me. And at 10 years old, I had to share with my mom that I no longer felt safe living with her at the time because of her alcoholism. And I mean, imagine having to do that as a 10 year old, you know, it's scary when you don't have or don't feel uh, at that age, safety and security. And what's interesting is that we go through life and we have these events where we often make a decision unconsciously and that decision can turn into a belief and it can literally kind of structure years after our life if we don't bring awareness back to it. And in that moment, I, I remember making the decision that by telling my mother the truth, I had lost her love because it felt that way. And I know that, you know, now looking back, I know that's not true, but it felt like that in my 10 year old mind and heart. And so I became a people pleaser. I became this version of myself that needed to seek love and approval from other people. And I'm sure some of the listeners may be able to relate to that because I think that's a pretty common thing in the human experience. So from a very early age, I had fear. And to fast forward to your question, which was the event that I decided to really shift my relationship with it and, and help others is, and I think about 15 years later, I was 25 years old. And my father became ill and he, his quality of life was deteriorating for several years. And I remember getting one of those phone calls saying, Peter, your father's just been rushed to the hospital and you've mm. got to immediately if you want to say goodbye. And I remember walking into hospice and looking in my dad's eyes and asking him, why, dad, did you do this to yourself? And why did you do this to me? You see, he, he, actually, he actually gave up on life in a way and, and drank himself to death. He had some, some pretty bad alcoholism. And he looked at me and he said, Peter, because I was afraid. Mm. And that was the moment, CK. Mm. I didn't know that. I didn't know fear was something that I identified with or labeled. But when he said that to me, that's when I knew. And I look back at my life 
And literally, I was living life under fear. My father was trying to live up to an expectation that was really, you know, pressure and a lot of pressure for him. Um, and for me at the time I was in investment banking, I was doing the furthest thing from coaching, man. I was like working 80 hours a week, crunching numbers in Excel, making good money, but I was miserable. And I did that not because I wanted to, but because I felt like that's what was successful in our, in our society. So that was the moment when that happened. That's when I became a student and I, I read books. I went to seminars. I hiked mountains. I jumped out of planes. I did all these things to understand fear better for myself. And through that, I became really committed to growing a coaching business around. Mm, that was beautiful. So, so that planted a seed that shifted the currency from money to let me figure this out such that I can help others not to experience fear or not let yeah. fear stop them again. So that was yeah, a little shift. Totally. And I think it's closely connected to, you know, me, realizing very blessed to realize at 25 years old, that's super young for me to say, okay, you know what? I'm not happy with what I'm doing. And, and it's interesting because we spend most of our waking hours, generally speaking in our craft, in our career, in our business. And if we don't love what we do and you don't have to love it all the time, there's aspects of my business today, right? That I don't necessarily love uh, building funnels at times or running Facebook ads, but I love who I'm doing it for and I love why I'm doing it, but I didn't really have that passion or that purpose or that happiness in that career. And then seeing my father pass away, those moments put life in perspective. Mm. And even though I was feeling that resistance in my career many years before that, that was the event that, that really put life in perspective for me and said, listen, tomorrow's not guaranteed to any of us. And I think that, you know, what's the cost of me making this shift? It's scary but what's the cost of me being in this career for another 10 years or 20 years and then looking back with regret and I never wanted to do that. Yeah. So this is a very timely conversation because well, as the pandemic is happening right now, a lot of businesses are out the window. Let's say if you're in the events business, it's, it's gone for the moment, right? You can do virtual, but the physical events, the retreat business, the ceremonies that you have, your vacations, if you're in the travel business, even if you're in the air, airline business, like all of that is being heavily, heavily impacted. So for most people, not only they worry about their physical health, the physical safety, but they also worry about the economic aspect, the economic stability aspect of it. So it's scary times for a lot of people. So this conversation is super timely right now. So. I know that we're talking about that moment, but also zooming it out for a little bit. So a lot of people are now looking for answers. They're looking for books, watching podcasts or watching Facebook lives. What advice do you have for them as they're seeking or starting their journey of reinventing themselves, reinventing their career, reinventing their business? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. These times that we're, I mean, the timing of this recording is incredible because these are literally unprecedented times. And there's a whole lot of uncertainty and unknown. And those are two of the greatest sources of fear in people's lives, not knowing, you know, uncertainty or unknown. And, you know, I, I often use the word fearless, CK, and I just want to want to define that for people because when I meet, when I say fearless, I don't mean being without fear. I don't think that's actually healthy. I think fear can be a really good thing. What I mean is having the courage and the commitment to actually do those things that scare you. And whether you're just starting your journey as an entrepreneur, that's scary. 
or you're an established entrepreneur whose industry was wiped out overnight completely outside of your control, that's scary too. And if there's one thing I would, I would teach here, it's learning to define, number one, identify what the fear is and define what type of fear it is. Because there's two types of fear. Can I actually share this? Because I think this is really- Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's just okay. dive right in. I love it. Okay, because like there are two types of fear, right? And let's define fear first. Some people define fear as the feeling of agitation when you're in the presence of imminent danger. And that's like the caveman fear, right? That fight or flight response when we were caveman, that's a good thing. I don't ever want you to get rid of that. That keeps us alive. Mm. Um, but the other type of fear that we often experience today, and most people watching this right now, there's not a lot of imminent danger. I know these current events, are, it's a different story with COVID-19 and all that. But generally speaking, if you have access to an interview like this, most likely there's not a lot of imminent danger around us. Mm. So it's projecting the fear of something unknown in our future. I see. So the key word here is eminent danger. So actual tiger staring at you, car coming at you, things like that versus something that's projected. That's the key distinction. Totally. Yeah. It's exactly, yeah. So that, that eminent danger, I would call a rational fear that keeps us alive. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But the fear of failure, the fear of uh, rejection, Mm -hmm. The fear of looking stupid when we're, you know, I remember doing videos for the first time on social media when I was growing my coaching business and I had all sorts of insecurities about that. Mm -hmm. Those fears are irrational fears. They keep us from living. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to be able to identify, as you asked, in this time when entrepreneurs are having to pivot their entire business. Number one, that fear feels real in the body, but it's also a figment of our imagination. And the quickest way to overcome an irrational fear that keeps us from living is to actually do that very thing that scares you. So the sooner that you can step into launching that next product or having that conversation that's super uncomfortable with a client of yours or somebody who you haven't talked to yet, like, like those things, the speed of which you implement is, the I think, the, the most important thing in the world right now for us. Mm, interesting. So... We're going kind of meta meta right now versus just dive right into helping someone. But I think for my audience, they, they, they're used to this meta meta type of discussion. So, <laughs> so from my point of view, there's an inside out approach. Hey, let me meditate first. Let me do self care so I can get to a place of equanimity. And once I'm clear internally, then I'll take action with resolution. Right. So that's yeah. more of an inside out approach. And there's the outside in approach. I don't really know exactly what's happening yet internally, but let me go on and take action. Warrior spirit. Let's just take action. We'll figure out along the way, right? On the internal clarity aspect of it. So if I'm hearing you accurately, what your kind of frame is more of an outside in approach. You're more of an advocate for outside in. Hey, let's just go out and instead of overthink it, take action. And we'll figure out along the way. Is that an accurate way reflection of what you share? I would say that that's a critical mindset to have. So I would suggest having that intention. So I think it's really important to just have the intention of speed of implementation. Okay, there's resistance there, there's fear. I'm going to go move towards it. Now, 
I realize, CK, that's easier said than done, right? And so let's talk about the inside out approach because that's really, really critical. Uh, you mentioned meditation. Meditation to me is one of those foundational practices. It's one of those, you know, critical habits that I have in my life. And I do it because for me personally, it allows me to process the fears, the doubts, the limiting beliefs that I'm experiencing. So when I meditate, I almost feel like it slows down time and it creates space for me between an event like what we just experienced in the world and my response to it. And if I have space there, then I can respond with intention and with purpose instead of unconsciously reacting out of fear. So yes, the outside, you know, outside in approach is important, but I want to speak to the people as well. And I know you're a big believer of this as well is, is, is processing internally so that you come from a place of presence. I would imagine an abundance, not a place of scarcity or, or, or lack. I've got a little exercise that, I do. That's an inside out approach. Would it be helpful to share that? Please. Can't wait to okay. hear it. Yeah. Cause this, this is tangible. This is something that for you watching this, I want you to literally like, if you're multitasking right now, as long as you're not driving, I want you to listen up and write this down. Cause this is an exercise that I, I learned from a mentor. Well, it's from a mentor and there's from other people. I think the first person that kind of shared this isn't somebody that I've worked with directly, but I'm sure you've heard of CK and you know, Tim Ferriss or know of him. Right. He has a, uh, he taught this and what I thought was brilliant and he calls it fear setting and there's three steps to it. And here's what I would, I would invite the, the, the viewer to, to do is when you feel that resistance, let's talk about the exact example that you gave CK, which is your business is now can't be run. It's shut down. Maybe you run live events. You've got to figure out how to take your business and, and make it virtual. There's probably a lot of fear around that, fear of the unknown, fear of failure. Let's just say fear of failure. What most people do is they try to pretend like that fear is not there. They distance themselves from it. They try to like ignore it when in fact they need to be running towards it. Because I always, you know, I believe that fear is the only thing that gets smaller the more you run towards it. So to do that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. That's a little, that's a little, you know, bumper sticker right there. I love that. Um, Yeah to really look at that fear. One of the things that I do, and this is a journaling exercise, is instead of pretending like it's not there, I literally write out that fear as the worst case scenario. Like I I literally write it out as the nightmare that I'm most afraid could happen. And I get into painstaking detail around if this happens, then this could happen. And I literally follow the pattern all the way to the end. And doing that allows me to, number one, almost distance myself from the emotional charge of it. It allows me to look at it rationally and first see the likelihood of that worst case scenario happening is so slim, even though my mind makes it like it's the only option. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. So that's the first step, right? Writing that out. The second would be once you're clear on that picture, then I would list out what are the things that I could do to prevent this worst case scenario from happening. And there's always something that we could do. There's a person we could talk to, we could seek support, we could provide support. There's an action we can take. There's always stuff that we can do to prevent a bad outcome or the worst outcome from happening. Once we look at that, that fear begins to get a little smaller. 
And then the last thing is, let's just assume that the worst case scenario happens. What are the things that you could do to repair it? And that's the third step. So if this does happen, okay, how could you, how could you, you know, how could you move through this and grow through this? And so, just, yeah. so, so pre preparation and what was the second step? Yeah. First one is writing out the worst case scenario, like the nightmare. Okay. The second step is writing down what could you do to prevent that from happening. Prevention. Okay. Yeah. What are the actions you could take, what are the people that you can learn from or people that you could uh, help to ensure that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then the third is if it does happen, which is very unlikely, mm -hmm. we do to repair it. Yeah. Treatment. Yeah. Simple. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And that just kind of, that's a way. And I, I do this often. I do this probably once a week, a couple times a week where I, I notice a fear that's coming up. I notice my monkey mind going down the rabbit hole of worst case scenarios. I go, okay, cool. Now it's time to slow down. Let's take a look at this. Let's meditate. Let's get present. Let's get still. And then let's take my thoughts and put them to paper and look at it through the perspective of, of being rational. And that makes a huge shift because it just kind of removes the emotional charge for me to go back at the task at hand and, and, and continue to serve in the, from a grounded place. Do you do that on a schedule weekly schedule or do you do it you would kind of loosely check in as it occurs? I loosely check in. yeah i loosely check in i would benefit from doing it on the schedule so if it was a perfect world i would i would encourage you guys to consider doing it once a week and picking a day and time where you can do it in an environment where there's no distractions you know you want to don't want to do it while the kids are running around or while you're you know multitasking and there's messages coming in from other places you want to do it where you are totally uninterrupted um, but yeah, I do it when I feel, and I think that's just because I've been doing it long enough. When I started though, CK, I totally did it at the same time, uh, and the same day each week just to build the habit. Yeah. It depends on people's preferred learning style, right? I think Cal Newport, uh, did it really, really well in his book. Be so good. They can ignore you when he talked about there are different, different ways that people are chunking their time when you're really, really good, then you can basically find any, any of those spare moments. And then as a journalist would, he call it journalistic. If you, if you can steal five minutes at a time and you do that thing, even when the, all the craziness is happening, I, I don't work like that. I need my schedule daily thing that works best for me personally. So, yeah. but, but let's move forward with it. So now I distinguish what fear it is for me, what's rational versus irrational. I now am exploring a new path, looking forward. I now do your exercise, projecting the scenario, the what kind of things could I do, the, the preventive measures, and as well as treatment, right? Should it happen, what could I do? All right, so now I'm address that, address my fear. What's next should I do as I'm reinventing my business going forward? I would say the next step would be what we're afraid of is, is, is the action that we need to take next if it's unknown, right? So if somebody's reinventing their business, the next step would be to look at and have an honest assessment of the cost of inaction. Mm. And that is one of the most overlooked things, right? We're so afraid of, oh my gosh, if I take this action and I fail, then it means this. But what if you do nothing? What if you don't reinvent? 
what if you let that fear stop you? And, and there was a moment where I almost did this before launching my coaching business. I, you know, when I started as a coach, I was super blessed to work as a coach for another company. I worked for a company called Lifebook in Chicago for three years and I learned how to coach and I was trained through them and they're a phenomenal organization. What happened was we ended up parting ways at the end of, of us working together and it was sudden. So like literally I lose my sole source of income overnight. And so that's similar to kind of, you know, probably the feelings that some mm-hmm. right now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So in that moment, I had a choice to make. And I could have chosen to, because I was afraid of the unknown, because I was afraid of what's next, I could have chosen to say, you know what, this is too scary. I want to keep, I want to stay comfortable. I want to stay safe. I'm going to go tap my network and find a job back in investment banking mm-hmm. because I had relationships and I knew I could get a job there and get paid well. But that wasn't what my heart wanted. Mm. You know, that wasn't what my, my purpose in life was. That wasn't my mission at all. Mm-hmm. And so I played the scenario out as what if I don't pursue this coaching career that I know I want to? Mm. What if I go back and get that job? And again, this was to me. I'm not suggesting that it's wrong for anyone to go get a job. But for me at the time, it wasn't the right thing for me to do. And so I looked at what if I go back and, and settle and let that fear stop me and look out five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that cost CK was far greater than me saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to leap off this cliff and build the wings on the way down and launch a coaching business from scratch and not knowing who my niche was and what my message was and how to generate leads or any of that. I'm just going to go for it. That cost of doing nothing was so much greater than the cost of taking that action. So that would be the next step. I love that. I think a lot of times where that's how to articulate it. <clears throat> the media makes it seem so sexy to have, you know, lots of money and, it, and it's very, very helpful. But I think the question of what's it for, I think Warren Buffett said it really, really well. He, or no, actually you know, it was uh, Tim O'Reilly of O'Reilly media says it really, really well. He said, uh, money is like gasoline. Sure, you want to make sure you're in your car, you have enough gasoline, but you don't want to spend your entire journey collecting gasoline. So yes. I really love that. <clears throat> so at that moment, with doing the career switch, you know, you're, you were clear about your purpose, your mission, your core values already. So then you knew that collecting more gasoline with investment banking wasn't the right thing for you. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. And it was really hard to make that choice because I got so much, number one, significance from that career. Mm -hmm. Often with money and wealth comes significance at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's another another event that I'm just remembering now that I want to share that that was right around the time of when I made that pivot. Mm -hmm. And it was right around the time when my father passed. Mm -hmm. And it was, I remember walking into my mentor's office. This was while I was in investment banking. And he was super successful. Like he had all the things that I thought I wanted, right? He had the cars and the houses and the, you know, all that stuff. And I remember one summer, it was a summer where literally I, w- I was working from June 1st until September 1st every day, seven days a week, 12 to 18 hours a day. Like, you know, one of those summers as an investment banker. And he was in the office in the evenings, which is unusual for a partner of a, of a company or a managing director. Typically, they 
you know, aren't working like the, I mean, they worked hard, but they didn't work as many hours as the analysts. And seeing this day after day, week after week, I became curious. And I remember sitting down with him one day at lunch. And I, I remember saying, Glenn, why are you in the office? There's nothing pressing for him to be there for, right? There was no pitch the next day. There was no big project that was urgent. And he shared with me that he didn't want to go home to his family because in the pursuit of his career, he had neglected them for so many years, his wife and his kids, that it was just so, it was just so many problems at home. And that was a significant moment for me because that was another thing to your point of like, I'm like, why am I doing this for? And I'm not beginning to say that, you know, if you're successful or wealthy, it means that you live that lifestyle at all. But that was the lifestyle that I was, I was living. And I could see, like, like it almost was like me looking into the crystal ball of my future. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. So, um, so those are the, you know, my dad passing and then that conversation were pivotal. The thing that was really hard was not just leaving the security behind, but the, the disapproval that I, that I experienced from some family. I don't know if you, you've ever experienced this or the person watching this as an entrepreneur, you know, typically we, we don't follow the, the narrow path that our education system tells us to follow, right? And I remember having family being really upset. I, I got support from my mom, which was beautiful. I got support from my sister, but I had some, some family members that were like unsupportive, like to the point where they're like, who do you think you are pretending to be a coach? You have no experience. You're a charlatan. You don't have letters at the end of your name. Go back and get it. like all this stuff. And it wasn't intended, I don't believe, to like hurt me. It was actually from their own fears and their own doubts and their own insecurities. So that's, I want to talk about this because this is a big thing, especially as you pivot. If you've got family, whether it's your partner and your kids or your parents or whatever that is, there may be a chance they may not support this new direction that you're going in. And in those moments, I had to let go of my need for approval because I knew that that was the right thing for me to do. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. The thing that comes to mind in my mind is everything is a fractal experience. So there's the self and there's the family, there's community and there's world. And in every single construct, there's barriers to 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 this so but i want to make sure that we're not super intellectual cerebral so i want to bring it more practical <laughs> so so okay during those time is the uh, is the challenge for you to hold on to your commitment your resolve or you can let them sway you to go back to get a corporate job go back to the norm go back to you know the known path versus charting on this new path right so do you have any tactical practice for the people who are listening to this to say, hmm, should I reevaluate based on other external feedback data point, or should I just stay on my path on this thing that I holistically in my heart's heart know that this is the right thing for me to do? It depends on a, on a lot of different variables. Of course. Right? So I don't want to get and generalize. Of course. Um, but what I did, you know, I think that the, the, the thing that I did and that thing that was most helpful to me was before I took a bunch of action, I had to release my need to be approved by my family. 
And again, it doesn't need to be family for somebody watching this. It could be friends. It could be society, whatever it Spouse, is. Kids could be any totally. outside point of view for sure. Yeah. Outside of point of view. And, and, you know, for me, right. Looking at my childhood, I lived my life for the approval of my family because of, you know, how challenging my, my upbringing was. And, and to be also, I just want to kind of close a loop there. I'm super blessed, CK, because my mom now lives in San Diego near me. She's oh, you have a sober. new relationship with her. That's awesome. Yeah, she's been sober for many years now. That's so great. she has become like my idol and my mentor. She's an example of fearlessness and, and strength. But, you know, as a kid, it was really challenging. And so uh, I would say that the first step that I did was I, I had to release that. So I had to have some really uncomfortable conversations with family. I remember getting... Facebook messages at the time, because that's where I would produce content from family being like, who do you think you are? You should stop this, all this. And I, I remember having a call with some of them saying, listen, I love you so much. And I cannot wait to see you next time we were together. But I also am creating a boundary here. And I don't want to, to, you know, I don't want this to stop me on my mission. So I want you to know that number one, I love you. And I'm choosing to block you from social media right now kind of crazy, you know, but it was something that I needed to do to protect myself in a way. Like I knew that I had to guard my mindset. I had to guard my heart set, like to, to be able to, to stay committed to my path. And then from there, when I choose a commitment, I think it's really important to declare that commitment. There's something magic about a declaration, not just to ourselves, but to the world. And so one of the things, and I look back now, this wasn't a marketing strategy, but it actually turned out indirectly to be that is I documented my journey. You know, when I launched the business, I announced it. I, you know, would share videos of me, whether it's hiring a new mentor or, you know, writing my book or whatever it was, whatever project I was working on, I would document that journey and declare what I was committed to. And that just like leveled up my accountability to myself. Mm. So that's something I, I would encourage somebody to consider doing if they are in this stage of pivot, or if you're just launching something from new, number one, see if you can ask, like, like do some reflection of, is there, is there any internal needs that you have associated with approval and validation from family or loved ones? How can you release that? Still love them, still, still respect them and love them, but then declare your path and move forward to it. And that's, that's what I would recommend doing. That's actually a really in, in, uh, insightful point that you just share. Is it coming from, let me, let me placate, let me, let me please them by doing this path? Or is it coming from self, from within, from the inner truth, the capital S self, that this is my path? And having that discernment is super important. So in that, so let's say, all right, I release that. I, I'm listening to Peter and CK. I released that. I no longer wanted to do this thing that I've been doing. Great. Are there some questions, some powerful questions that you can give whoever is listening to this to really help them discern the internal truth that they wanted to carve out this, this new path? I don't have any off the top of my head, but let's, which is, which means this is a great question because this is just going to come through me. So the biggest question that comes to me is why? Why, why are you here? For if I was the viewer, why am I here? That's a powerful question to ask ourselves. You know, why are we here in this lifetime? What's the impact? What's the mission? What's the purpose behind 
what we're here for. I don't believe that we're here to just earn a bunch of paychecks and then, and then call it a day. You know what I mean? I believe that there's something much deeper. And, and I believe it's not all about your career and your business as well. There's a whole lot of other areas of our life that are significant. So it's really important. I, I discovered very early on that agency and freedom were really important to me. They were high values. And I wanted to be a living example of that. And I don't have kids yet, but I remember as I started to get older, kind of seeing that I, I am a role model to my sister who's six years younger than me. And I can't imagine what it's like to be a parent, but I remember as an older brother thinking, she's not really listening to what I'm saying. She's actually seeing and watching what I'm doing and who I'm being. And so why am I here? Who am I committed to being? for our clients, for our family, for, for like all, you know, for humanity. Humanity is a big one to me. Like I, I literally look at it as if I can help one person, and again, this is coming through from me as a coach, right? So if I can help one person, that impact could impact their family, their friends, their community, and it could have this ripple effect. And I just get so lit up about it. That's one of the reasons why CK eventually got into coaching coaches. Because I, I, I felt like there was a limit to the number of people that I personally could impact. If I could help a coach help somebody else, my gosh, that's going to have this ripple effect that goes on infinitely. I know I'm bouncing around here, but. No, not at all. This is great. Thank you. You're, yeah. you're speaking to, preaching to the choir, so to speak. One of the reasons why I decided to do Noble Warrior is, well, one, I can have really great conversations with amazing people. And two, if we can help entrepreneurs or coaches or consultants, to me, these are the enablers of society. If I can help shift their internal compass towards their own purpose, whatever that is for themselves, I, I, I would indirectly help them make that impact, right? And I've already seen that in the clients that I have and the entrepreneurs that I help. So I definitely, there's a high resonance in, in, in what you're sharing here. So thank you for, for humoring that question. So, all right. So you're an investment banker. You want to do coaching. I'm sure there's many, many other options that you could have done. For example, coaches for investment bankers, as an example, right? So there's some overlap there. There's a lot of different ways, right? And I know that you also were really big on fitness. So you could have helped, you know, fitness coaches and so forth. <clears throat> So I'm someone, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm pivoting. I'm a yoga instructor, I'm pivoting. I'm a potentially a restaurant owner, I'm pivoting, right? I'm an events producer, I'm pivoting. What, do you have any set questions to help them pick the ideal niche? Because I know that's one of the most topical, the hottest topic amongst coaches. Do you have any suggestions yeah. there? Yeah, I love this question. I got tons of suggestions, yeah. yeah so, uh, so I think, you know, it's important to start to answer the question, why niche in the first place? Okay. And this is the hardest thing, CK, for coaches. It's a hard, because I mean, as a coach, we want to help everyone. And, and again, I know I, I want to help, and, and most people's coaching can literally almost help anyone. So we think that if we niche, then we miss out on opportunity. We miss out on helping people we have our opportunity when in reality, we actually triple it. And the reason is really simple. I'll give you a metaphor. I learned this from a mentor of mine named Taki, which I thought was brilliant. 
imagine for a moment that you're standing on the beach and I give you a net. And I just say, CK, I want you to cast a net out into the water and I want you to try to catch as many fish as possible. And so what most people would do is they would take that net and they would cast it as wide and as far as possible to take up as much room, right? The more space that you have, potentially the more fish you could catch. But remember that net has holes in it. So what happens to the net when it expands? Do the holes get bigger or do they get smaller? They get bigger. And then the fish, right, swim out of the holes. And I'm not being derogatory and calling your prospects or clients fish at all, but I'm just saying that's a metaphor to think about it. We want to be targeted in your message. So who do you, who do you choose? There's a couple of questions I would ask. Number one, it's most important, in my opinion, to be super passionate about who you're helping. So are you passionate about helping this person? For me, that's one of the reasons why I didn't choose investment bankers. Love them. I was one of them. I've got a lot of friends, but it wasn't my, it wasn't an alignment based on my experience with the values that were most important to me. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. Doesn't mean that that's wrong. There's incredible bankers out there, but I just, I was in a, I was in a conversation that I wanted to have that was different. Does that make sense? Does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Second question is, can you actually help them? Do you have the life experience, the expertise to actually help that person? A shortcut, in my opinion, to think about who your niche is, is to think about a younger version of you. Not in age, right? But in life experience. So when I started, I didn't start coaching coaches because I, I didn't feel credible at the time. I wasn't successful. I remember my first mentor the name of my Facebook group is Earn 100K Coaching, right? And that name came out of actually my very first call with my mentor back in like 2014 or 13. And the name that we came up with was Earn 1K Coaching. His suggestion was for me to teach coaches how to make their first $1,000 as a coach, right? And that's a, that's a nice thing to do. Like, that's pretty cool. I can help coaches. But the problem was at the time, CKI I hadn't made $1,000 yet. So I felt I was marketing a message and it felt out of integrity. I felt like I didn't have the results to help them yet. So again, thinking about your niche or your niche, it's a younger version of you in life experience, not necessarily in age. age. And then the last one, and this one's often overlooked, and I think it's important if you're going to actually really build a business around this, is you want to ask if this person is willing and able to pay. Are they willing to pay? Are they willing to invest the time, energy, and money to work with you to achieve a certain result? It's hard. It's really hard as a coach to build a business or as a teacher to pivot from, like you said, yoga to doing something virtually online if you target a niche that is unwilling to make that level of commitment. And it doesn't mean you only can help people that are successful financially. I'm not suggesting that. You absolutely can help others. And you can do that from things like a great free podcast that you do, right? Or videos or a book that you write, something where you're not asking somebody to, to, to pay. You can do that through your marketing. You know, one, one thing that I often say to coaches is that like, my marketing is going to impact way more lives than my coaching ever will. Just from a numbers perspective. 
it's kind of right. So I want my marketing to be so good to have such great, in, you know, content that people's lives are being transformed just from that. If they work with me, great, but I'm not attached to that. So to kind of sum it up, number one, who am I most passionate about helping? Number two, who do I feel most confident about serving, right? Do I have the, do I have the expertise and result to help this person? And then number three is, are they committed enough? Do they have the time, energy, and money? Or are they committed to invest those things to, uh, to work with us? I love that. that no, it totally does. And let me add something else to, to contextualize a little bit. So in the startup world, there's this idea of finding the perfect uh, employee or, or the perfect co-founder, right? So similarly, they have this thing called the airport test. The airport test means if you are ever stuck at an airport for six to 12 hours with this person, would you want to hang out? You know, would, would you be like, oh my God, I can't believe I got it. Or would you be like really excited and enthusiastic? Oh, what an opportunity to hang out with Peter or CK, right? <clears throat> so similarly regarding who, who are you passionate to help? I personally have set up businesses to, to, to help cosmetic dentists or, and then plumbers and you know, Rotarians and just, you know, a number of things. And one of the key lessons that I learned from going through that journey is, well, they didn't quite pass the airport test for me personally. Right. Yeah. So, so it's very similar like that. So who do you, because here's the thing, guys, if you're listening to this, the thing you got to remember, sure. There are some people that don't care about who they're helping because they're building a whole staff to basically take care of all of it. If that's you, that's fine. But for me, I am helping these people. So I'm going to put myself in their shoes. I'm going to be having conversations with them. Am I excited to get in contact with them? Or am I like, Oh my God, I can't believe I got to talk to these people again. Right. <laughs> so yeah. something for you to remember. And I'm laughing, CK, because, you know, I'll be honest, in my early on in my journey, I took on some of those clients. And it was often not because I was unclear on my niche. I knew who was a good client for me and who wasn't. It was because I was in scarcity. So, you know, for the person watching this, whether you're a coach or not, any kind of entrepreneur, really remember that I believe that no client is, or, or the wrong client is 10,000 times worse than no client. It's so much worse because number one, you, you never want to have something where you have resistance to fulfill on working for your, working with your client. Like if there's resistance, if there's, you know, calls that you dread going to, then that's taking up your mental space. That's limiting the impact you can have on the other clients. It's, it's hurting the, the value that they're getting. And so even if that person comes in and they can pay your fees or whatever that is, um, trust me on this one, having been through this too many times to count, uh, no client is way better than the wrong one. Absolutely. Yeah. I think an, a good way to test that is the airport test. And another good way to test that is the micro moment before you answer their call. Did you hesitate or did you just like, oh, so-and-so is calling? That's, that's a, to me, a very good indicator <laughs> of whether or not there's resistance in the relationship. Okay, so the second point that you said about the skill set is ultimately, as an entrepreneur, you're being paid to create value, right? So think about how easily 
it is are you able to use your entire arsenal of tools superpowers competencies skills that you have to deliver uh what they desire so competency is a very very important thing versus hey i read this from a book it's a very shallow skill first yes. something that you've been honing for 10 years you know uh, let's use a hammer as an example you know all the tricks and the off-label use and all the different ways of using the handle swinging this way swinging that way when to use how to use what colors to use anyways anything yeah, like I, out there yeah yeah i love this this is so so critical um and i think our society right now has lost the art of mastery you know i was never taught personally going up through our education system apprenticeship right i never had an apprenticeship i was never taught the importance of mastery and in some cultures you teach that at least for me here in the u.s i i wasn't learning that and it's really critical to you know whether you're you're continuing to grow the business that you're in again and we're not you know I, I think we're talking to a lot of people assuming that everyone's business is, is pivoted right now but some are, are doing way better than ever right and some um are so, so for those people it's important to always be in a place of commitment to becoming the best in the world that that's the one i want to think about like i want to become the best not not from an ego perspective but i want to be able to deliver that much value and for me to hone my skills I've got to not just deliver, but to sharpen that saw and to practice and to train over and over and over and over again. You know, there's two things that lead to mastery, intensity and repetition. I learned this from NLP. Intensity and repetition, right? Intensity is being fully present at the task at hand, no distractions. And repetition is doing it over and over and over again until it becomes that unconscious competence. So one thing, I want to share something applicable and somebody could just take action on right away I learned this from a mentor of mine named John Butcher years ago, and he taught me the importance of having what's called a knowledge acquisition plan. And at the start of every year, I've been doing this since 2010, so well, 10 years now, start of every year, I get clear on what are the skills that I want to you know, level up? What are my skills that I want to master over the next 12 months? And I'll just speak in the context of business, but you know, some of these skills could be cooking or golfing or you know, painting or whatever that is. But for me, business was speaking. Speaking was a really important one. Copywriting. Copywriting is a big one, right? When you're, when you're doing stuff online. Lead generation, all these different skills that go into, go into building our, our business. And I would create a list of all the different mentors that I feel could teach me those things. All the different books that I could read, all the different seminars that I could attend. And I would create this knowledge acquisition plan and say, okay, over the next 12 months, this sounds probably super like overly structured for, for some of you. Uh, but for me, it worked. And I just got clear, okay, cool. This quarter, I'm dedicating to learning, you know, and, and focusing all my time on becoming a world-class speaker. And so I would attend those events and I would hire that mentor and I'd work with them. And I would do this for a few years. And I found that I would learn, learn things, but like you just said, CK, it was surface level because I was just learning information. I wasn't embodying those skills yet. And so after doing this a few years, I discovered that like, okay, I was consuming all this stuff and I was feeling like I was learning a lot, but I wasn't seeing the results. And I realized I was missing an important piece of that plan. And that was having a knowledge implementation plan right next to the knowledge acquisition plan. And what that allowed me to do was to focus on, okay, instead of going from one resource to the next, from one podcast to the next, from one webinar to the next, 
I said, I'm going I'm to like study this for this period of time. And here are all the things that I'm going to implement to ensure that I learned it and then go teach it to somebody else. And once I got to the stage of teaching it, then I knew I had learned it at the right level. So that's just something that, that I would share that I think that anyone that wants to level up their skills, whether it's skills that you already feel great at, you just want to get better, or skills that you're like, I don't know how to do anything online because I've been a yoga instructor and my studio just got shut down, then um, think about, okay, who could you learn that from? What could you study? But how could you implement every step along the way to, to turn that skill into just who you are? Yeah, for those who are listening, you, you hear this conversation, this type of conversations over and over again. It's not about having the perfect plan. It's not about taking the perfect action. It is really a loop, right? You, you learn something, you go do it. You learn something, you go do it. I love, I think it was James Altucher. He said, it's not a 10,000 hour rule to achieve mastery. Think about it as a 10,000 experiment rule. Because if you just do it enough, enough times with the intention of getting better and achieve mastery, right? You naturally go better. So such a illust perfect illustration of, uh, of accelerated learning here. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. And to that point too, there's, there's no, like one of the presuppositions of NLP, I studied NLP, is there's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I think that we're conditioned, at least I was, to avoid failure, right? When we grow up in the education system, we're graded based on our, our you know, we're given letters based on our grades and, and if we get below a certain thing, we're a failure. Mm -hmm. and, um, the reality of entrepreneurship, and CK, you know this, is like anyone who's ever achieved success has failed over and over and over and over and over again, right? And so- It's only a failure if you didn't learn. It's not a failure yeah. if you learn something. Yeah, and that's a feedback, right? So I look at like when I'm doing something new with marketing, when I'm running a new Facebook ad to a new webinar and we get no opt-ins and I'm like, oh man, I could be like, oh, I failed. Facebook sucks. I'm never going to use this again. Or I could be like, okay, cool. I just discovered the wrong way of doing this. Mm -hmm. Then we have one step closer to the right way. Let's go take that feedback. Let's learn from it. And then let's go test it again. Okay. I know we kind of digress a little bit. I want to bring back to what we talked about. So niching down, right? Finding someone that you love working with, that you're enthusiastic and working with, find, you know, overlapping with the skill set that you have achieved some level of mastery that you can help deliver results very quickly. The third is the willingness that they, the pain that you're solving is so painful that these people are motivated to actually pay you for it. Right. <clears throat> so looking, I think looking at the past is a pretty good way to project forward. Mm -hmm. So one way I think you had mentioned is think of this peop, this person that you're helping is younger version of you. So looking at all of these things, the, the intersection of the, all these three points could be a really good way to help you hone in on your niche. Is there anything else you wanted to add there before we move on to the next topic? That's the biggest thing. And uh, again, how that related to my business at the time, CK, was when I started, I wasn't coaching coaches. I think I shared, I was actually doing like health and wellness coaching. I was doing peak performance, habit setting, because that was an area of my life that I had really improved upon, right? I, I, I had reached the success financially in investment banking, but it was at the cost of my health and the cost of my relationships. As I started to make that transformation myself, others started to notice. Okay, that that's actually perfect. So you produce results for yourself. You are your own client. Yep. After you've done that, 
then you then that natural, the intrinsic confidence come, then you are like, Hey, I can help what 10 people at a time, a hundred people at a time, or was it one at a time where you start to increase that internal confidence, the intrinsic yeah. confidence? For me, it wasn't a big, you know, zero to a hundred at a time. It was definitely one more at a time. You know, I was actually really resistant to taking on my first coach as a client because they came to me, you know, and I, I, I didn't one day wake up and go, I'm going to coach coaches now. And there's a lot of coach coaches who coach coaches today. Right. But I had a few friends locally in San Diego, see my growth, see, you know, I wrote a book. It became a bestseller. They became curious how I did that saw that I did an event, all these things. And they were like, Peter, what are you doing? How are you building the audience? How are you getting people to, you know, to have enrollment calls with you? And I just took a few on just with curiosity. Like I didn't want to say, listen, I, I'm going to help you build a seven figure empire. I hadn't done that. Right. I was just going to say, I'm the, okay, cool. I'll teach you what I, what I've learned. If you're open to learning that. And they're like, yeah, for sure. And what I saw was they started to get really good so clean injection, clean injection there. So say someone listening to this, they have many different skills. They at a high level, right? People listening to this podcast, they're high achievers yeah. and they're not offering this skill to, let's say friends and family because they have produced personal results. Critical question here. Do you charge them? Do you not charge them? Oh yeah. Really good question. Once you produce the result for yourself, mm -hmm. I think absolutely you have every right and you have earned the right to charge them. Okay. So it was hard for me to charge friends and family, particularly when I started because they were friends and family. Mm -hmm. Like I learned very quickly that free advice is worth the price you pay. And mm -hmm. I learned this from experience. I'll give an example. Mm -hmm. um, super blessy Kate. My best friend is a guy named Sean Stevenson. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sean. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for the listener, Sean was three feet tall in a wheelchair bone born with a, with a uh, disorder called brittle bone disorder, where he would sneeze and fracture a rib. He was that fragile. And Sean became one of the best speakers on the planet. Like he shared the stage with the Dalai Lama and Richard Branson and Bill Clinton. And, you know, He's a phenomenal human being. Sadly, he passed away last year at the age of 40. But I met him 10 years ago and became best friends. And I had a friend tour. I had a friend who was also a mentor. I wasn't paying him, but he was teaching me. That's a new word I learned. Thank you. And I loved it. I was super blessed. He was teaching me about speaking and storytelling and marketing and sales. And he's a phenomenal coach but I wasn't implementing it. I wasn't implementing what he was suggesting. He and his wife had a huge impact on me when I launched my business. I actually moved out to Arizona. I have a cool story here, but I moved out to Arizona just to live near him, to learn from him. And I had launched a blog at the time and I was dabbling with the idea of launching a coaching business, but I wasn't implementing enough. Then I got into a conversation with my first paid mentor shortly after that. His name was Garrett White. Have you ever heard of Garrett? He has a brand called Wake Up Warrior. Yeah, he was my first, first mentor. Mm -hmm. Garrett taught me some great things, but they weren't that different than what Sean was telling me the whole time, which is interesting. I cut a check at the time for 20 grand to work with Garrett, and I got pretty much the same advice that Sean was giving me for free. But my business took off. Now, why do you think that is? Tell us. Because... 
Mm-hmm. Because I put some skin in the game mm-hmm. because I invested in myself. Because when I invested that amount of money, that was money that like I didn't have. I, I, I pretty much put whatever savings I had towards that, borrowed some money from family and, and just went like leaped into the unknown. But it metaphorically for me burned the boats. Like I was no longer playing small. Did I have fear of failure? Yes. Was I afraid of being rejected? Absolutely. Was I taking action anywhere anyway? Of course, because I had to figure out a way to do it. I had to figure out how to pay rent the end of that month. So this is a long story to answer your question. When you're getting results, you have every right to pay. You have every right, right to charge your clients. And if you don't charge them, then it's a disservice to them because you're getting a fraction of their full commitment. That's my belief. I 100% agree, my friend. It's yeah. so interesting because uh, I'm a coach myself as well, yeah. right? So interesting to watch. Same advice, different people, hugely different results. Some people just do nothing with them, procrastinate, mm-hmm. do their what they normally do, which is okay, right? We're being human, it's fine. Some people internalize it, take it, build companies that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars in literally only a few years. Same advice, same person, same way of delivery, same heart, yet drastically different results. Really, really interesting. So bring it down to, to earth. Yeah. How do you share that to family and friends in a way that's, that's cordial, right? Still not like, let me Gary White you with what he is pitching. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So I I would say, listen, um, I would number one, discover if they actually really want help from you. I would never go into a conversation assuming that somebody wants your support. I've learned that, you know, I think that being in the coaching world, it's easy to give coaching without permission to do that. So I would seek permission first for anyone, but especially friends and family. If they say that they want support, I would share from your own life experience, a story similar to what I would share. Like what I just shared with you, CK, is exactly what I would say. Mm-hmm. I would say that story and I would say, listen, I've experienced that free advice is worth the price you pay. And I get that you're my sister and you know it, it makes sense to offer this for free, but I know that you wouldn't really be committed to this. And so even if I normally charge this, maybe I'd offer, you know, that's up to the person, you know, what they feel. But I would literally let them know that I know that if I was to just give you this advice for free, you would most likely not implement on it. And so if you really do want my help, let's find a way to where there's some uh, skin in the game. There's some commitment on your end of time, energy, and money so that you'll take this seriously. And I would just directly say that. And then I'd work something out with them. Yeah, totally. Again, I want to make it practical, right? So people who are listening, okay. So now, again, bring it back. So I know who I am. I know my values. I know what I'm committed to. I decided to pivot. I now look at my niche, right? And I'm now generating results for myself. And then I'm not charging, starting to charge people. What's next in terms of growing this new business, you know? Yeah. So the most important thing to do, and I think the most overlooked, mm-hmm. is to ensure that when you have your first client or your second client or your 10th client or your 100th client, to remember that the best marketing strategy you could ever implement 
is helping your clients get the results that they're wanting. So many coaches or entrepreneurs go down to, okay, cool, just got a customer. Next, let's go on to the next. And that can hurt your brand and your business faster than anything. So I would say the next step is become relentlessly committed to helping those clients solve their problems and get the results that they want. And with their permission, capture those stories. You know, success stories in the beginning, when you're marketing a business, it's typically the owner that's shouting from the rooftop how, you know, when I was started, I was just telling the world how great I was, right? Because I had to, I didn't know, I didn't work with people yet, but I was sharing my, my story and, and, and kind of my, my message. The world was, you know, some people would, would engage with that, not many, but the world started to listen when my clients started to share their results. And so that's really, really critical is to make sure that you're committed to that, you have a process for that, and you have permission from them to capture that testimonial, whether it's a written testimonial, video testimonial, and repurpose that in growing the business. Um, Beautiful. Make- yeah, it does. So fulfillment, hugely important for people who are listening to this. The faster you can get people results, the bigger the results you can get for them. Ultimately, that's what they care about. I have asked people, I think it was Dane Maxwell said it so beautifully. He said, customer, mechanism, results. Most business owners focus on the mechanism. Yes. But ultimately, as even as consumers myself, I don't really care about how I got the results as long as I get the results, right? So it really honing on giving people that result. And also in doing that, learning the currency, what they may, let's say you, uh, yoga is an example. They may do it for exercising purposes, but what is the currency they actually receive in addition to what the, what the yoga experience may be. So, yeah. And that goes to the point of being super clear on who you're working with, mm-hmm. Like, Try to help everybody through that lens. It's hard to share a message that speaks to that person. Mm-hmm. And uh, often, you know, I was just going to say to the mechanism point that you made from Dane, I totally agree for, for coaches and specifically love our process of coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, it's worked in our own lives, right? For ourselves, we've seen it work for others. And oftentimes coaches will lead with the process of their coaching. I, I do ontological coaching or I do this or I do that. And it's like, at the end of the day, I don't think people care about that. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. they care about what are the specific problems you can help them solve mm-hmm. the results. You can help them not, create for them, right? None of us are, are, you know, I always say that you're responsible to your clients. You're not responsible for them. I didn't you know. I had so much stress in the early years of my business because I felt responsible for them. I felt like I had to create the change mm. and that was a disservice to them. I was making clients that were dependent on me mm. as CK, we're guides, right? We are totally a guide for like a, like we facilitate, we help support, but the client is who, who actually does the work. So that's actually jamming on that. That's a really critical point you just mentioned. So on the one hand, there's the, hey, if I don't deliver results, imposter syndrome, right? I'm a fake. I can't give them the result. On the other, there's also exactly what you mentioned. They are wholly responsible to take the advice to act on them. So can you jam in on a little bit on that? Yeah, for sure. So this, this for me, this oh, comes I'm sorry. In. So quick interjection. 
And this conversation I want to underline here is, is, is a beautiful illustration of fear because a huge part of it, of being the imposter, you need to overcome that imposter syndrome fear. Similarly, you also need to overcome the savior's complex, shall we say, right? To save everyone. So talk about that a little bit. I know it's pretty generalized, but talk about that. Yeah. Well, so imposter syndrome, I still feel it every single day. So I, I would not begin to pretend like I have overcome the imposter syndrome. I think, honestly, I think feeling like that imposter syndrome means that you're operating outside of your comfort zone and you're growing. I think it's a good thing. I didn't feel that way when I started, right? So like in the beginning, I was like, I can't do anything until I feel certain and confident that I can deliver this value. But the truth is confidence is a result, not a requirement. And I want somebody watching this to write that down. If you're watching this live, type it in the, the chat. Confidence is a result from you doing the work. It's not a requirement. If we're going to wait around to feel confident, if we're going to wait around to not feel like an imposter, we're literally going to wait our whole lives. And like, that's what I was starting to do the first few months of my coaching business is I was hiding behind blogging. I was doing that stuff, but I wasn't going out there and serving. And so I had to have this beginner's mind where I embraced the fact that I'm going to fall and I'm going to get it wrong and I'm going to mess up. But over time through that, I'm going to become better and better and better. And so, you know, at every stage in which you grow, maybe right now you're, you know, you haven't broken six figures, but then you're going to, and then the next big hurdle is going to be seven figures. And then at that stage, you're going to feel like an imposter. Oh my gosh, now I've got to get team and I've got to be a leader, right? And all those things, like every step, there's going to be that level of feeling that way. And I would say what I would suggest to do as an actionable strategy is to reflect on the gap, not between where you are and where you want to be, which is what most of us do. Me, I was very taught at an early age about goal setting, right? Set your goal, get clear on the outcome, and then take action towards it. That's great. The problem oftentimes is if we only focus on that gap, we feel like an imposter. We feel not enough. So if instead we were to reflect back at how, how far you've already come, for me to take a moment to look back at when I started and how I didn't know who my niche was and I didn't know what my message was and I had zero certainty or confidence and I didn't know all those things and I can look at where I'm at today, I'm already feeling like, man, there's so much value that I can deliver. Does that make sense? It totally does. So do you ritualize that on a daily or on the weekly or is it more of an in the moment reflection of um, gratitude? I would say weekly I do it. I don't have another day in time that I do it every every single time, but every week I do it. When I'm about to do something that I feel a little bit of fear, whether it's maybe you know speaking at a big event coming up, I often will go back and read the case studies or the testimonials of clients of mine. And I will go back and think about all those kind of obstacles that I overcame. And that'll get me into a state because I think that and let's talk about, well, yeah, I'll just say that because I was about to go down a different rabbit hole. So <laughs> let's stay on point. <laughs> yeah. No, that was great. That was a quotable quote. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of different directions we can continue to go, but I do want to focus on fear. So let's, because mm -hmm. I think what you are about to share is, is perfect because Let's say I hear a piece of news. Let's say something happens in my personal life. Let's say uh, a client has certain reactions or let's say I'm just doing all these actions. I'm 
you know, throwing my best and nothing is coming back, right? A variety of different scenarios. It, it's gonna, it, those are all inciting events for fears to happen. So when, when I notice, holy shit, fear is happening, there's something starting to eating away at me, what do I do? Well, so one is for sure what I shared earlier, that three-step three step fearless system, right? Writing the fear down, defining what you can do to prevent it, defining what you can do to prepare it is a great exercise. Making sure that you have a ritual that's daily that produces power is absolutely critical. So having a routine, and I, it sounds like Sequel, you're pretty structured too. So like you and I can relate to this of like meditation, journaling, working out, um, whatever those things are that keep your energy, that get you present. When I do those first in my day, even when things are going to come at me that are out of my control, I can still show up as if I'm the eye of a hurricane, as if I'm the eye of a storm. And I think a lot of people wait and hope that, okay, I'll, I'll start doing this once the storms pass, once things get calm, then I'll, then I'll dedicate myself to this. And it's like, those aren't going to happen. You know, this is part of the human experience. It's like, how can you create that ritual now, today, and discipline yourself to the point to where it becomes unconscious competence? Because in the beginning, it was not easy for me. Like, it required a tremendous amount of willpower and discipline. And those things, I believe, are limited resources, too. So if I was only going to rely on willpower, then I'd run out of it at a certain point. So I found that like through accountability, through commitment, through um, oftentimes declarations, right? I was more committed. And when I strung together days, weeks, and months of that particular ritual, it just became who I am. So when that fear comes up for you watching this, do you have those power habits or those power rituals in your day? And if you don't, I know you haven't, I know, I know this isn't news to you, right? We've all heard this a thousand times. But to know something and not to do it is to not know it at all. So let's focus on, you know, what are some, I'm curious, okay, what are some of your rituals and habits that yeah, you do? For sure. Yeah. As you're speaking, I also wanted to let the listeners know that we're, I can speak only for myself. I'm not a perfect human being. I don't always do 100% of my rituals. Hmm. However, the moment where I'm aware I'm about to go down a rabbit hole or when a moment I I'm aware that emotionally, uh, physically, uh, spiritually, energetically, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mess. I'm about to go down to the rabbit hole, which I'm very familiar with, right? Uh, I can actually just pause and do something newly. So in my case, there's a few different things that I do as a, as a, kind of like an emergency break, right? <laughs> like a like a power habit that's going to reset my entire system. So I talk about this a lot. One is hape, right? Hape is a very powerful thing. Boom, drops me right into the center. But, but if not hape, the thing that works so well for me is a ice bath or a cold shower. Like mm -hmm. that just shuts everything down like in a, in a nanosecond, like boom, I'm right there, right back in versus being my crazy neurotic thoughts, right? Another thing, it's all physical, physicality based. So another thing is just get my heart rate up really fast using this ritual called tabata, 
Tabata. It yeah. takes four minutes, super fast. Just go out and sprint, get your heart rate up. So that way my physicality is exhausted and forces my mind to focus on the, the present moment rather than in its own neurotic thoughts. So these are some of the, I would say, anchor habits that I have to do a heart reset. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I totally can relate to those doing like something super powerful, hit training or a Tabata. For me, breath work's a big one too. You know, I'll often listen to a guided breath work session and that'll just drop me in so powerfully. Any um, specific type of breath work? There's a guy named Shane Saunders who is from Australia, who is a brilliant breathwork teacher. He was introduced to me through a mentor of mine, and he has like a, a SoundCloud playlist that I just listen to. I do it before like this interview that we're doing right now. I did it before that. I ran beforehand, right? I was looking at my day because I just want to come to this and I want to feel that energy. I want to be present. I want to deliver. I want to serve. And it's so easy as our lives get so busy to be like, okay, cool, yeah, I'll work out tonight once all this stuff is done, but then you're gonna show up as a fraction of yourself. At least that's how I how I would feel. So again, to your point, you know, I'm not pretending like I'm perfect at all on these things either, but I love the distinction that you just shared of like, there's moments, it doesn't mean like you have to do all these in the morning, you could, and that's great, but there's moments when you may find your energy peak, right? Or you start to drift, you start to go into fear, you start to go into, you know, whatever whatever's there. How can you shift out of that as fast as possible? For me, breath and movement are the two biggest things. I actually learned, I came across a really cool band yesterday, mm-hmm. thanks to some, well, Facebook, called Rodrigo and Daniela, I believe. It's okay. a beautiful guitar duo where they essentially bring kind of like poppy sound to just acoustic guitars. And you, and then some, oh, so, so two more things I wanted to share. When you engage in some kind of media experience, it's not just the content that you receive, but really pay attention to the emotional response that you get as well. So in the case of, let's say, listening to David Goggins or Jaco, or so these guys are sort of like the man's man, masculine energy all the way. So when I listen to them, I got effectively a virtual kick in the butt. Like get some fire going. So like, yeah, let's go kill it, right? And then similarly for for Rodrigo, this band just brings so much joy in me. So I wanted to share that. I don't know if you have any favorite music that kind of gets you to that emotional flavor that you are going for. Yeah, you know, I love Tropical House because I just feel like it's such a, a, a chill, high energy kind of thing. And I know those contradict, but... I think I've anchored really great experiences living in San Diego, being on the beach, listening to Tropical House with friends that often when I run, and I actually was listening to it today when I was running, I just felt so much joy and so much gratitude for our quality of life. And I felt tremendously blessed. Like people watching this right now are on under intense amounts of pressure, generally speaking, you know, and there's tremendous amounts of fear. And there was even more just a couple of weeks ago with everything going on with the virus and things like that, all the uncertainty and all the unknown. And it slowed me down to the point to where I became super grateful for things that I'd taken for granted. You know, like I'm 
I'm, I'm beyond lucky and blessed to live in San Diego and be near a beach and stuff like that. And I found myself at first when they closed the beaches being like, how could they do that to us? And I can't surf and all this. <laughs> like, what first world problem? What, 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 you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what a great problem to have kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, that music I love. I, I, I'm, I'm a student of personal growth. So I'll often listen to audiobooks or podcasts when I'm running because when I am learning something that's expanding my mind, it puts my problems in perspective and it just kind of gets me more, more grateful for some of the challenges that we do have, the real challenges, because we all have real challenges, but we can choose to be a victim of those, I believe, or we can say, thank you. What's the lesson I can learn from this and how can I grow? Thank you for that. Yeah. I want to be cognizant of our time together. So rapid fire questions, if you don't mind. I know we can probably jam for hours, but yeah. rapid fire questions here. So, all right. So I'm following Peter's advice. I'm not, I know who I am. I've decided to pivot, to reinvent myself rather. I decided to produce results for myself and pick a niche that, that works well for me and decided to take on clients. What's next in terms of uh, growing this? Should I, there's many, many different opinions out there. Yeah. I can run Facebook ads. I can run a Facebook group. I can do a podcast. I can go out and speak on other people's podcasts. I can mm-hmm. do high level networking. I can offer high ticket items. I could, <laughs> so many, yeah. so many different options. Do you have mm-hmm. a preferred way for people who are listening to this to create a business in the coaching totally. Yeah, for sure. So number one, it doesn't matter how good of an entrepreneur or a coach you are if no one knows that you exist. And this was the most painful truth that I had to to accept early on because there's so many incredible business owners, entrepreneurs, coaches out there, speakers, authors, and no one is hearing their message. And oftentimes they think, okay, well, that means I may not be good enough yet. I need to go get qualified more and I need to go get more letters at the end of my name. And I believe that qualification is binary. It's zero or one. Either you're qualified to help somebody or you're not. If wait, you wait, are, back one sentence. What did you just say? Yeah. Qualification mm-hmm. is binary. It's zero mm-hmm. or one. Either you're qualified to help somebody or you're not. Mm-hmm. So if you're not, that's okay. Let's go get the skills to get qualified. But if you are, getting more qualified doesn't necessarily translate into growing your business. Mm. That's good. I I was blessed to have a mentor who instilled in me early to view myself as a marketer, not just a coach. And I know a marketer has now become like a dirty word today, right? Because there's a lot of people out there that are over-promising and under-delivering. There's a lot of people that actually can't help people, but they know how to market and they position themselves well. So what I would encourage you to do is when you're clear on who you're targeting, on who your niche is, on who your avatar is, choose one, like get clear on one platform that you're going to serve them on. A lot of people will model somebody who's light years ahead of them. If I try to model Tony Robbins today, right? if I try to model him because he's everywhere, he's on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and all these different platforms, I wouldn't grow my business. I would spread myself too thin. I'd be distracted by all these shiny objects. Right. So instead I chose one platform for us. It's Facebook. It doesn't have to be for you watching this. How did you pick that by the way? Cause I, I, I mean, here's the distinction because I can randomly pick, let's say TikTok for executive coaching. Let's say, right. That's, that's clearly not a good match, but how did you pick Facebook as your platform? 
for me, I knew that I was already producing content on there and I had an audience. So I didn't have to build an audience from scratch. Number two, it didn't require a lot of work for me to be on there because I it was just kind of something that I valued doing. Number three, I knew that my ideal clients were on there. I knew that Facebook allowed me to capture the essence of my message in both text, audio, and video that would communicate and attract people to me. Instagram is a great platform for sure. TikTok is the fastest growing, right? But I found that TikTok, I believe, has a younger demographic. And for me, that's not really a fit for my coaching at this stage. So making sure, thinking about, okay, who, like if you're an executive coach, LinkedIn is probably one of the best places for you to look at, right? Now the strategies on Facebook are very different than the strategies on LinkedIn. So whichever you choose, learn to master that one platform. That's one thing I would recommend. That's really good, my friend. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in terms of offers for me, I am a believer in higher ticket offers because I feel like that allows me to facilitate way deeper transformation by working with somebody. So I know there's some brilliant marketers out there like Russell Brunson who created ClickFunnels and he teaches the Ascension model, right? You offer the lead magnet for free and then you get the $7 tripwire and all this and you send people up to that. That's great. I could never get that to work for me personally. I found that a higher ticket offer in a leverage group coaching program allowed me to make the impact that I wanted to earn a great income while still having freedom. You know, I think it's important to look at how can you leverage yourself in your business? Coaching is one of the hardest things to leverage because, mm. you know, we, we think that we're the, we're the unicorn. We're the people that everyone wants. So I only can work with one-on-one -on -one people. And, and I was in that pattern for a while. I hit a ceiling CK where I had about 18 one-on-one -on -one clients and I couldn't grow. And I could grow, but I would have to work 80 hours a week again. And I didn't want to do that. And so I started to unpack my process and create a curriculum and leverage, you know, through video modules, all, all these other things that created freedom for me and allowed me to help even more people. So to answer your question, it depends on who your, who your client is, but I would say choose one platform, choose one offer. And here's the hardest thing, commit to that for an entire year, one year. One year, that's going to scare a lot of people. It scared me when I first thought about that because I wanted to do everything and I wanted to have an online course and a book and an event and a one-on-one -on -one coaching and a mastermind in the first 90 days. Right. And what was that? You're talking to, right, so I said, right, you're talking to overachievers. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I want to do it all in, in, you know, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love this. I think this quote came from Tony. Tony says, Tony Robbins, we often overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in a decade. And as an overachiever, right, as we are, and, you know, if, if you're watching this, then I invite you to slow down, to put on blinders on in a way and focus on your path and build that out to the point to where you can optimize that one path on that platform with that offer for that person, optimize that over and over and over again. Once you've got that dialed in, then you can clone that and go somewhere else. But if you try to build it out on multiple platforms at the same time, it's going to be, it could be a struggle. I think a big part, what you just said is don't do everything at once. Don't try to shotgun an approach, right? Do, or another way to phrase it was don't be a, a parallel entrepreneur <laughs> instead of yeah. serial, do a parallel. Yeah, totally. I, I say um, build a gushing river before you try to make multiple streams. Yeah. You know, streams of income is what we're taught, right? We want to have multiple streams, but why would you want a stream for here and a stream there? You get a few hundred dollars here from your book and your course and 
you're still struggling financially. Why not create a gushing river first? And once that's flowing, then you can go build out multiple streams. So Peter, we talk about many different things from, from, from the philosophical to the tactical. Let me do a quick recap. We had talked about your, why you started this thing in the first place, the tragic loss of your, of your dad and the, the thing that you had to deal with, with your mom. And that really put you on the path to being a coach. We had talked about what else did we talk about. We had talked about your framework to address fear, looking at uh, actual fear versus uh, irrational fear versus irrational fear. Right. And then the exercise that you walk us through, we had talked about crafting your own niche. We had talked about creating results for yourself before you're taking on new clients. We had talked about ways to grow your, your practice and then picking your platform. Anything key things that I missed here? Uh, I think one big one was the imposter syndrome because that was one that a lot of us That's had. right. That's so right. That's right. Is knowing that if you feel like an imposter, that's okay. That means you're outside of your comfort zone. You're growing and you don't need to wait for confidence. You can still take action and confidence will be the result. That's right. Great. So out of all these that we had talked about, what is the one thing that you think, hey, just do this next step that will propel you forward in reinventing, recreating, re-transforming what's next for you? Yeah, when it comes to reinvention, the most important thing is to answer those two questions. Why am I here? And who am I, who am I committed to becoming? Through your business. Because change is the only constant. And we've been in warp speed of change in the last 30 days at the time of this recording, like faster than ever in human history. And so if you are resisting change, it could be a really painful journey ahead. I want to invite you to welcome with open arms change, take action in the direction of their fears, know that everything that we desire from the relationship that we want to the level of health that we want to the impact and the income that we want, everything is going to be on the other side of fear. And the one thing I would just, I almost forgot to mention this, CK, and I just want to mention this since your audience is filled with so many high achievers, some of them may be thinking, Peter, I don't have fear at all. And I respect that. And I would ask you, do you have stress? Because at the end of the day, stress is just the high achievers version of fear. Mm. And so for the person who feels like, listen, I don't have fear, but I'm stressed out of my mind. If you were to follow your stress deep enough, you could find an underlying fear that's a root cause. And when we release that, the stress goes with it. Yeah. What a beautiful way to end it. Thank you so much. Peter, thank you so much for sharing your heart, your mind, your story, your tactics. For any of you who are listening, you would know that Peter didn't hold anything back. So if you're, if you're inspired by what he's sharing, his tactics, his way of being, his energetic resonance, who he is, go to his Facebook uh, group called Earn 100K Coaching and follow him. Where, where else should they follow you? Yeah, great. Thank you, CK, so much, man, for having me. This is awesome. If you do want to grow a coaching business, that's a great group to be a part of because I give free training in there and there's amazing uh, coaches. We've got about you know over 3,000 coaches there. Connect with me personally. You know, My personal Facebook page is Peter Scott Ideas in the fourth. You send me a friend request there. My website is designafearlesslife.com if you want to check that out. And if you're really fearless, 
Every now and then we do what I call a fearless life experience retreat, where we take entrepreneurs and executives hang gliding, surfing, great white shark diving, crazy stuff. So when we're able to do that and the travel ban is lifted in the future, if you're curious about that, you guys can learn about that at fearlesslifeexperience.com. It's beautiful. Thank you, my friend. Let's do a part two another time. I would love to, CK. Thank you, brother. Yeah.